Welcome to Fronteras, a program that explores issues at the border and beyond through the lens of arts, culture, and history. I'm Norma Martinez with Texas Public Radio in San Antonio. Math is considered a universal language. Its equations and formulas are the same around the world. But the languages in which these equations and formulas are taught can affect whether children effectively learn the subject. One researcher at Texas State University and San Marcos is investigating how bilingual students in bilingual classrooms learn math. Dr. Jose Martinez Inestrosa is an assistant professor in elementary mathematics education in the Department of Curriculum and Instruction. Spanish was his first language when he was growing up in Colombia, and he used that experience to shape his research. He says the way bilingual students in early elementary school engage their languages to learn math is different than in a monolingual context. So one of the reasons that I've been attracted to mathematics classrooms, specifically the bilingual ones, is because of the kinds of debates that occur among children and between children and teachers and even myself when we are all using all of our linguistic repertoire to be able to communicate ideas and to be able to make sense of mathematical concepts. And I believe that that goes hand in hand with this idea of not only using mathematics to solve a problem or to reproduce the steps that a teacher presented to us, but how is it that we ourselves as a community of mathematicians in the classroom recreate the solution of different problems or come up with our own strategies and discuss which of those strategies for problem solving are more efficient or more generalizable or whatever it is that we're trying to do. So there is a lot of communication going on and there is a lot of bilingual communication going on. How did you experience that as a child in your math classes in Colombia? Did you have that bilingual classroom where were they all taught in one language or at what point in your learning career were you exposed to a bilingual education and you started realizing that there are sort of these different ways of approaching learning? So in Colombia I grew up speaking Spanish at home and speaking Spanish in the community in school so my learning of English was actually English as a foreign language as it was called back then. So I just had two or three hours of English a week at school and that was it. And then my math class, for example, was in Spanish completely. And it was what I would call a very traditional kind of approach to math teaching and learning, meaning there was a textbook, the teacher would present the objective for the day and the teacher would explain how to solve a problem, what to call that problem. And then we would work individually, completing 5, 10, 20 problems that were pretty much the same. So it was mostly or exclusively in Spanish. It wasn't until I got to college and my undergraduate degree is in industrial engineering. And at that point, even though it was in Colombia, lots of the readings, most of the readings were in English. So I had to start reading math textbooks in English which was interesting, and getting to see how then the language positioned people differently. So people who perhaps had gone to fancy bilingual schools in Colombia, and by fancy I mean schools that tended to attract an elite and that tended to be more expensive, 
private schools. So those of my classmates that have been to that kind of classroom and who had a better command of English were positioned differently than those of us who didn't. But it wasn't really until grad school when I was getting my doctoral degree at Michigan State University that I began to work with Dr. Eugenio Dominguez as his research assistant and he was my advisor as well and he had been doing this research with bilingual learners and with bilingual teachers here in Texas and also in Michigan and at that point and through grad courses that's when I began to think differently about mathematics and that's when I began to think about the human interaction and the communication as very important part of mathematics and of course then language or languages became something that would differentiate that experience. Well, I would say your realm of research is a relatively new one because especially here in Texas and, of course, across the United States, bilingual learning in schools, it, it is a relatively new concept. The history here in Texas is that if you spoke a language other than English, you would get physically punished or you would be ostracized or maybe even kicked out of school or held back several grades. It was not the best experience for bilingual students whose language was was even English. So finally getting to explore this in bilingual classrooms, is it something pioneering that you are doing with this research in the realm of mathematics? Because mathematics might not be one of those classrooms or topics that one would think you would take a bilingual approach to. That's very interesting. I do think that people immediately, when they hear that I'm doing research in, with bilingual children in bilingual classrooms, the initial reaction many times is, of course, because it's easier to teach bilingually in math because you're not going to use language a lot. And that's not the case. So that's the first thing that I find interesting when people connect mathematics with something that it's a cultural and with no connection to language that already says something about how we are thinking about mathematics and how we're thinking about mathematics as just completing exercises and just following steps so that's the first thing that you're making me think about and then there is fortunately for me a long tradition of doing research with bilingual children in mathematics and I would argue that for decades, that research focused primarily on making sure that people understood that there is a way of using language in classrooms. So that, of course, has implications for both monolingual and bilingual classrooms. And then I think that a part of that, too, was researchers documenting and highlighting for us that it was beneficial for children to actually use both of their name languages. In, for example, in the case of Texas, very commonly English and Spanish. There's different people who have been doing the kind of research that brings the political aspect of it that I believe you're mentioning, which is when we're thinking about languages in any aspect of life, there is a political aspect of it. And we are sometimes judged based on how we speak the words that we use, the accent that we have, and we're perceived as competent or incompetent, educated or not. And those are value judgments that transfer also to the math classroom. So for years, I believe 
these researchers have been helping us understand that when and how children are allowed to use their languages matters and that there is both a cognitive but also a social and a political aspect of engaging children with their multiple languages in the classroom. So that's the tradition from which I'm building. Now we are at a point when we're beginning to recognize this, we're beginning to recognize that it's important to use languages and that there is a political aspect of that, even in the mathematics classroom. But we're getting to the point where we need to know what are the details, what are the intricacies and the mechanisms of how languages function in the mathematics classroom and how both the political and the mathematical aspect kind of get integrated in this particular bilingual classroom. So in my case, what I'm interested in is understanding not only the traditional and the formal use of language that many teachers expect to hear in the mathematics classroom, but also getting to understand the children's perspective. So what are those language practices or those ways of using language that children naturally use and that sometimes get either silenced or ignored in math classrooms, but that if we care to listen carefully, actually can convey a lot of mathematical meaning. So I guess that I'm trying to flip the script there a little and understand the language, not from the perspective of something predetermined that children need to move toward, but the other way around. What is it that children are saying already? How is it that they're communicating these ideas? And then what math can we as adults, teachers and researchers, extract and understand from that? Jose Martinez Inestrosa is an assistant professor in elementary mathematics education at Texas State University in San Marcos. He's researching the teaching of math in bilingual classrooms. When we come back, bilingual students often come up with their own units of measure to make sense of math problems. And what they were thinking of was just using the finger as a unit of measurement and then sliding that finger to measure the length of an element. Our conversation continues next on Fronteras. Welcome back to Fronteras. I'm Norma Martinez with Texas Public Radio in San Antonio. Jose Martinez Inestrosa is researching how math is taught and learned in bilingual classrooms. The Texas State University instructor received a five-year, $860,000 grant from the National Science Foundation to study bilingual children's use of language and participation in math classes. Martinez Inestrosa says his research is a collaboration between Texas State and the San Marcos School District. Around 250 second, third, and fourth grade children and six of their teachers will participate in this research. He says this allows for the creation of classrooms where children can learn on their own terms. Rather than me as a researcher coming to the classroom or to the schools and perhaps, for example, asking for interviews or just video recording the children and then leaving the classroom to the analysis on my own and publish that alone, what happens is that the teachers and I will collaborate both further refining specific objectives for the research project and then continuing with the entire research project on all of the stages. For example, generating data, analyzing that data, and then eventually disseminating the findings. 
So I've been lucky enough to have the support of the school district and a couple of the principals and many of the teachers in the dual language programs in San Marcos, where children are speaking in Spanish in math classrooms primarily in second grade. Then third grade, they begin this transition to using both languages a little bit more. And then in fourth grade, they're speaking in English primarily. That is the current model. So I've been observing teachers already in second and third grade. And also based on my previous research, I have already noticed that there are these ways in which children are using the language that sometimes we as adults, we're just not attuned to that because it's not what we traditionally have heard. Math, unfortunately, has had a history of separating languages, of being monolingual, and of valuing specifically in the U.S. context one language over another. So math is done in English. That's the language of math. So when I go to the classrooms and I see all of the brilliance of these children and how they're using their languages in ways that are creative and that are different, that are original, but at the same time are very, very mathematically meaningful, then that's when I get to talk to the teachers and we get to think together about ways for us to understand a little bit better the uses that children are giving to their languages and then how to plan lessons that are going to elicit those ways of using the language and that are going to enhance and affirm rather than punish or chastise those ways of using the language. What are some of the circumstances that you find sort of these unique ways of using both languages in the children? Is there a particular uh, math formula? Of course, we're talking, you know, second, third, and fourth graders. We're not talking upper level algebra or upper level geometry, but, you know, what are the individual circumstances, what particular type of equations? What have you seen that the students have produced that really makes you feel, you know, satisfied that this is the kind of research that you want to continue to pursue? So I can give two examples. One, I was sharing recently at a presentation that was a bilingual Spanish-English classroom in, in the state of Michigan a few years ago. This was a third grade classroom. So we're talking eight, nine-year-old children. And the use of language there was rich enough for the children to debate ideas very seriously. So what happened in that case is that children were studying learning the formula for the area and the perimeter of rectangles. That's all the textbook called for. But then a child during one of the conversations or the whole class discussions, he went to the board, completed the exercise, did the area and the perimeter of a given rectangle that was in the textbook, and then kind of like just jokingly, he drew a circle in a corner of the board, and he said, the circle doesn't have area, and it doesn't have perimeter, and that's why it looks like a zero. And he said this in Spanish. English was his dominant language, but he said this in Spanish, which was the language of instruction of this math classroom. And that took the class in a completely different direction from this idea of only area and perimeter of rectangles to children questioning and debating what even is a shape. At some point, the children were saying, we had already defined that sides are straight lines. So shapes are made up of sides. 
therefore a rectangle is a shape because it is made up of straight lines. A circle is not a shape because it doesn't have any straight lines, it doesn't have any sides. And that took children to these rich debates when they were using both their languages very fluidly to make arguments at a point a child's counter argument was everything is a shape and at a point he kind of pointed to himself and said <laughs> i am a shape you are a shape everything is a shape it was also interesting for the teacher and i to pick up on these ideas and then what do we do how do we figure it out so for example we brought yarn and then we asked children as a whole class to arrange this long piece of yarn on the floor to, to make a circle. And then we asked about the area and the perimeter of that circle. Eventually, one of the children said, I can stretch it out so I can measure that. Therefore, it does have a perimeter. But the children insisted it still doesn't have an area because if to measure it, we need to stretch it out. It's not holding any space. So then at some point we were giving children little sticks, like popsicle sticks, and then they arranged them as a circle. And the conversation went in the direction of these are straight lines and they are making a circle. So maybe a circle does have a perimeter and it does have an area to the point that a child in the end summarized that debate saying, the circle has so many sides that it doesn't have any sides. <laughs> pretty heavy. <laughs> so, it is. Again, these are eight and nine-year-old children coming up with these ideas that are pretty much calculus and are pretty much, you know, getting to think about infinity. So to express that kind of mathematical brilliance, you need to have first a classroom that allows you to express those ideas and to value those ideas as opposed to just filling out problems in a textbook or worksheets that don't really get to the creative part of mathematics. But children also need to be developing these ways of talking and these ways of communicating. So that's just one example. And then another example that I think it's relevant to the grant and to bilingualism in particular comes from an article that was recently published where I worked with some data from my dissertation. So what we were looking at was make up words, those words that children make up that don't really exist in a language formally, but that sound as if they do. And that's very common, not only for bilingual people, but children, for example. I think that one of the examples that we name in the manuscript is how children learning initially when they're very young, they do these overgeneralizations with language. So instead of saying went, for the past of go, maybe some young children say goad, kind of like making it a regular verb. So the same happens in math, in classrooms, when children start naming certain things. So for example, this was again, a third grade classroom, bilingual classroom, and children were using the word dedometro. So if I were to translate dedometro from Spanish to English, it would be something like finger meter. And what they were thinking <laughs> of was just using the finger as a unit of measurement <laughs> and then sliding that finger to measure the length of an element. Like a teacher could, for example, ignore that, laugh about it or correct it um, and try to get to a formal unit of measurement. But what happened with this particular teacher and in that classroom is that that idea of the, the dometro 
just took the class into this beautiful conversation about units of measurement and how by saying the odometer finger meter, you already have a clear idea of what is going on and how is it that they're measuring and what's their, their unit of measurement. But at the same time, there was some pushback in that classroom with a child saying, you don't say the odometer, that's made up, that doesn't really exist. And that's that tension and that push between using language and mathematics in creative ways versus just trying to regulate how we're using language and having everybody use language in ways that are homogeneous. And what's very interesting is that mathematics does include that practice of making up words. That's what mathematicians do, the creation of the word centimeter or other words related to the metric system. It's relatively new. It's, I believe, less than 200 years old. Because at some point for a conference, math conference in France, there was this arbitrary decision of naming those units of measurement that way. So that's what mathematicians do. That is part of mathematicians' work, doing the labeling or coining of these terms. So why not engage children in that practice? And why not validate that practice, especially when it's happening bilingually and children are using their linguistic repertoire to do that? It makes me wonder, the dedometro, does that translate to feet? In English, maybe somebody used their foot to measure a foot and they just called it a foot and then therefore feet. Exactly, exactly. And that's part of what has to do with the connection between the body and mathematics, which is a second part of my research project where I'm thinking both in terms of how children use their languages in creative ways, but also how children use their body. So an example such as foot using you know, your feet to measure is part of, again, a mathematical practice that I'm interested in. So how would you measure a child's movement? How, what does that have to do with the bilingual learning? It sounds fascinating. So the area of embodied cognition in mathematics, again, it's a tradition that I'm drawing from. And one of the ideas that it's important for the work in embodied cognition in math is that mathematics is embodied. So concepts such as continuity or balance have an embodied component to them. Almost when I'm saying these words and thinking about continuity and thinking about balance, I'm already moving my hands. You might not be able to see that, but it's kind of like natural to, to me, for me to be able to move my hands and communicate those concepts using my body. And the same thing with the examples about measurement that we were giving earlier. And I believe that ideas about language in bilingual mathematics classrooms and in classrooms in general and the body and how children use the body to make sense of mathematical ideas, I believe those two areas of research have been relatively separated. So in this project, what I'm interested in doing is bringing them together and then having a richer and a more wholesome view, complete view of how children are engaging with mathematical ideas, not only using their language, but also using their body. And there is, I was mentioning this political aspect and this critical aspect of choosing to do research that has to do with languages and specifically with bilingualism. 
it's the same when it comes to choosing to research that has to do with the body because it's not just about children being able to understand the material and the physical aspect of mathematical concepts and mathematical ideas it also has to do with how we as adults but also children already have ways of perceiving each other's bodies and how some bodies are policed and are controlled and how some bodies are allowed to move in the classroom in ways that others are not. And we know from previous research also that that goes along racial lines and how teachers, adults, children perceive issues of race. So that's something that I'm also interested in, trying to think about how we can incorporate more movement in the classroom, but also how we can get to understand the ways in which children are already moving and whose movement is allowed, whose movement is seen as mathematically relevant, and whose movement is seen as misbehavior or as a transgression. And I would assume that adding movement to a classroom would also engage the brain in various ways, because I'm, I'm not sure what the scientific studies are, but, you know, when we're adults, we're asked to exercise and to move because that way it keeps our our brains from deteriorating, our, our mental abilities from deteriorating as we get older. So children, I would assume, movement would also spark perhaps imagination or a greater interest in learning. Absolutely. I think there is these interesting definitions of embodiment that have to do with not following that dichotomy between the mind and the body, but rather think about them in connection and how we think with both our bodies and our minds. So when we're, again, trying to make sense of certain ideas, communicating certain ideas, we're thinking about them, but there's something that our body does or tells us that makes us understand those ideas. And those ideas that we enact and that we embody also are communicated using metaphors that have a physical aspect of it. And the imagination part uh, that you were mentioning is definitely one of those key aspects there. And I also think that definitely when there is the ability of moving in the classroom, both for the kids and for the teachers, there is something about the social aspect of it that makes for a more cohesive and liberating mathematical experience for everybody involved. So ultimately, what is your goal for this study? Where do you see this research ultimately, or how do you see this research ultimately unfolding in bilingual classrooms in the future? What's, you know, look into your crystal ball and, and let us know what you would like to see out of this study. This is a participatory study, which means that it's going to have an impact and an influence immediately with the six teachers that are going to be involved. And of course, in my practice as well, one thing that is very important about participatory research is that we will together disseminate the findings. So my hope is that tapping into the richness of the bilingualism and the bilingual culture and history here in San Marcos, we're going to be able to show people in other contexts how is it that we as adults, teachers and researchers can affirm what children are already doing and that it's not necessarily our typical ways of understanding or thinking about how children communicate their ideas, either using their bodies or using their languages. 
So I do think that we will be able to show models of how children are already doing all of this work in ways that are beautiful and brilliant. And also how is it that we as adults can better understand that work so that we don't impose our ways of doing mathematics, but instead we legitimize and extend children's already existing ways of doing mathematics. So that's one of the things that I'm interested in. And the NSF career grant also involves an educational component that goes together with the research component. So looking ahead, there's also going to be online modules that the research team will create where we will create cases of what we learned with the kids and we will use those cases in teacher preparation programs, not only at Texas State where I work, but it, they're going to be made public for others in other universities to use in their teacher preparation programs. So we all get a better sense of how to prepare future teachers to go with the flow of children's translanguaging and children's creative use of their bodies. Dr. Jose Martinez Inostroza is an assistant professor in elementary mathematics education at Texas State University in San Marcos. Martinez Inostroza will begin his research in fall 2023. Thanks for joining us for Fronteras. Fronteras is produced by Norma Martinez and Maria Navarro. Our executive producer is Dan Katz. Our editor is Fernando Ortiz Jr. Charanga Cakewalk composed our theme music. Hear past episodes at tpr.org and on the Fronteras podcast. I'm Norma Martinez with Texas Public Radio in San Antonio.